0: Pastor Glenn, and you notice he's not here, big difference. Uh, He's on actually a planned fishing trip with somebody, somebody was happy for him. So, uh, planned fishing trip, they were wishing they were with, but it's a number of pastors, including Pastor Gibson, who we just prayed for. Um, He and a bunch of others, uh, local pastors have gone up to Canada, and they're catching walleyes, and I'm jealous. So, so anyhow, a little R&R that way. Uh, but yeah, what the, the title I have today is An Obvious Secret. And like I was saying, I was, my desire for you is to have a sense and understanding the reality of God. Um, let's, let's just take a moment and pray. Uh, I'm going to pray for also um, Pastor Glenn. I'm going to pray for the McCarthys. Uh, for many of you know, uh, Robin's mother passed away. Uh, Dan was scheduled to be preaching today, um, so they had to make a change that way. We're going to lift them up too. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you hear our prayer. I just pray that you'd open our ears and our hearts, that we would submit ourselves to your truth, and that you would change us. I pray that we'd be able to see you like we've never seen you before, that the reality of your presence, that you're with us here right now. Lord, I lift up uh, my brothers and sisters, the McCarthys, as their family, uh, as they're traveling and and dealing with the loss of a loved one. We just pray your grace on them. And I pray for all those pastors who are together, who have a heart and passion for your people. Father, do a special work, we pray, as they're together, relaxing, but also strengthening, being strengthened by the company of others and uh, your spirit. Lord, we are confident you are working in our lives. You're working in our city. You're working in our church, and we humbly say yes. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, um, so ushers will be coming up. If you need a handout, they'll pass that to you. So yeah, as I was saying, you know, the reality of God, and, and just so you know, what I'm sharing today is, is a message, but also just kind of a grouping of a bunch of musings that I've had on my heart for some time, and so there may be some little tangents here. Uh, bear with me. Um, but I, I have sensed that there are times where God has not been very real to me. I too have, you know, a regular devotion time, a regular prayer time, and there's just time where it's just like, like, Lord, sorry I wasted your time, <laughs> you know, or it just didn't seem to go anywhere. There was no passion. There was no, there was no yearning. And uh, I've been moved kind of by the, the idea of you know, you have to really understand, we're, we're in a whole different age of thinking. The Enlightenment era came through, and then after that, you know, the scientific age. E- even though it's brought us wonderful things like cars and iPhones and all of those things, but still there's some loss that has occurred. And we, you know, uh, we are taught in our era and our age that you believe in what is material. You believe in what you can see and what's tangible. You believe in what is objective, or evidence-based, or data-driven. You know, those are the things that really drive our society, and it starts driving what we believe about life, it starts skewing it. But as you know, there's so much more about life that is subjective and not measurable, that isn't seen. I mean, like, your passion for the Milwaukee Brewers. How do you explain how vivid and lively people get about sports? What about your passion for your kids or your hopes of someday having that, you know, career that is what you've—that's on your heart, a dream that's been in your heart? How do you explain those things that are not measurable or not seen? That's just a for instance. There's so much uh, that isn't seen, and yet I believe if we are believers, there is something that is quite obvious that we don't see. It's kind of like your nose, right? Everyone just look at your nose. You can, see, you can see mine right now, there it is. So, but when we look and we view, our brains actually rule out, kind of take out our nose, even though it's right there in our view all the time. We don't see it. You can say, as obvious as your nose, yes, it's, it's obviously right there. But we don't see it. Uh, and Jesus actually kind of had this mindset too. Um, he saw things differently that weren't seen. And we're going to expound on that. Uh, We're also going to be studying more in 1 John chapter 5. It's got a lot that expounds uh, about love. So, to me, I'm just going to say say what I understand. This obvious secret is basically kind of an answer to the question of what is the meaning of life? You know, people ask that. People who are non-believers will ask the same question. Uh, And he really, the answer is, Your time here on earth is meant for you to grow, learn, and become the human that God intended you to be, for you to learn to love to a greater degree. That's it. The meaning of life, it's for you to learn love. Uh, So the decisions you make every day, the actions you take, the words that come out of your mouth, the goals you set for your life. All speak to how you understand this truth, that life is about love. And like I said, 1 John chapter 5 is a great chapter that's going to expound on that. Um, But I first want to talk about what this obvious secret or, or what it isn't, essentially. Pastor Glenn actually got onto this last week when he was talking about The Voice. You remember The Voice? It was him sharing about how to hear from God and how to discern what is from God. What it may be from Satan, what may be from us, or he said, what it may be the pizza you ate, the circumstances, the things around you that affect you, right? So, how to discern the voice. And he brought out one point which I thought was very telling, very helpful. This is it may, maybe for those of you who remember. What are the two words that are the essence of Satan? you remember that? Two words. I will. That was what Satan—that was the—captured the essence. And this is uh, from, like, Isaiah forty fourteen, where it says, I will ascend. I will become like the Most High. Satan's—the two words are, I will. And uh, I think about how often I assert what I want. We all have wills, right? We all have what we have in mind, what life should be, or— We have desires, we act on them. But how many times have I asserted, I will, when maybe I shouldn't have? I mean, God, God wants us to have wills. He doesn't want robots. He doesn't want automatons. He wants people who have passions and desires. But to be like Jesus, Jesus didn't say, I will, but he said, you know, if there's a different way we can do this, I would love to do it. But really, not my will, but yours be done. Remember that? So Jesus had a will, he knew what he wanted, he was hoping for a different way other than the cross, but yet he submitted himself. He submitted. He says, Father, I defer to you. And he says this in Matthew 26, 39, he says, My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Okay, this is direct contrast to Satan, right? Satan says, I will do this, I will take this. And actually the lie that Adam and Eve agreed to and took on was basically, I will take care of this deficit. Oh, God's holding out on me? You mean this thing can give me wisdom and God didn't want to give it to me? I will take it, Satan. I will take that fruit. Remember this? So it's the initiative, that selfish initiative of trying to ascend ourselves, and Jesus does the opposite. Jesus, God Himself right? Being divine. He says, you first. He says that to the Father. To me, that is that, that secret. It is that love, that kind of love, <laughs> um, and that, that orientation of heart that we are called to. I honestly believe that Jesus is here right now. And if you could see with your eye of faith, That he's here in this room. I believe he has something special for every one of us. He knows us individually. He knows the things that make you run. He knows the things that you ponder and the things that keep you awake at night or the, the fears that you have and the hopes you have. He knows them and he's here right now. But I also see that Jesus provides a whole different example of what life is, that life is really centered about us loving Him, learning to love each other. And I… Th- John, we're getting into John here, First John, and he uses this language. He says… talks about the light. Remember he said… Um, he said if you're living in the light, the light of God, uh, that… that is where we are meant to grow. And I think of like a tomato plant. A tomato plant doesn't do good in my pantry. It does best in my garden. It does best in good ground, with water, with light, and it's going to… it's going to be its tomato-ness, right? It's going to be fully a tomato. And so, just as a tomato is meant to grow that way and to become full and tasty and yummy, just so that we grow. We grow best in the light of God. We are intended. We are wired for this. The world tells us that we are wired to make the most out of life, take what's yours, pursue it, get it. But Jesus says, no, it is about submitting. It is about loving. It is about giving, is that word. So again, John uses that language, God is light. Walk in the light. And just as that plant thrives in that natural environment, So, the spiritual part of us thrives best in our natural environment, which is that same attitude that Christ had. It's in the garden of God with the sunlight of love and transparency to ultimately become more like Him. And he says this, 1 John chapter 3, says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. We don't know yet what you will be, Mary Jo. (laughs) We don't know what you will be, Kelly. We won't know until we see Him and He changes us. So those who, those who live in this life and in this light aren't just ordinary humans. We aren't just roaming this earth and wasting our time and hoping for retirement and have a good time. We aren't mere subjects or servants or slaves. We are, we now belong. We belong to God. You belong to God. You belong to someone greater than yourselves with a purpose that you didn't have before. We are in God's family. So in 1 John uh, chapter 5, what we're going to see is just three things that are worth pointing out. First, that we belong. Secondly, we relate. And then thirdly, we are kept. So we belong, we relate, and we are kept. So first of all, we belong. Verse 1 of uh, 1 John chapter 5, it says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. Two points in here that are worth pulling out. First of all, we belong by believing. You can fill that in. We belong by believing. It is not your conduct that gives you entry into the family of God. It's when we believe who Jesus is, that he was enough for us. Just like Vicky was talking about during communion. Again, this is in direct opposition to what Adam and Eve were doing in the garden. They were saying, again, I don't have enough, I'm inadequate, therefore I have to take on what Satan is offering me. Um, And they took matters into their own hands. And so often even us who believe in Christ, who said yes, we start putting on this performance thinking that we are not enough. So. We try to look good. We try to take out our cussing. We try to go to church. We give. Uh, We do nice things in the community. And we try to earn God's favor. Friends, we belong because Jesus was enough for us. This… I I don't know if I included this. Basically, it says, Jesus says, um, the work of God is this, is to believe on whom He had sent so, if there's anything you have to do, it's to believe, and it is to rest in who Jesus Christ is. First uh, John 1, 12 says, yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, that's it, He gave the right to become children of God. Uh, now again, this isn't only just that conversion, you know, where you, when you come and accept the Lord, but it's daily. We believe and trust Jesus is the sacrifice for us, that He is our Savior. And they are, we are made right in Him, and that He is working in us both to work and to will for His good pleasure. So, we belong to Christ by faith. Secondly, we relate. Continuing, it says, remember it says, everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. So, basically, what that says is that He who is born of God is lovable. So, despite what you think, people in this room, those around you, they're all lovable. <laughs> not necessarily because they deserve it, but because God's love is in God has His love for them, and God's love in you naturally finds value in others, especially those who believe. You can't despise somebody in church and love God. It's not congruent. You just can't do it. And, and scripture says, uh, actually, if, if that is the case, if you can't some, love somebody, you're basically worshiping something other than someone other than God. You're loving someone other than God. So, just as a side note, just take a moment. Um, who, I just want to ask, who in your life uh, do you find hard to love? I'm not asking anyone to shout out names at all, don't do that. I want you to think of maybe somebody who either you have a huge beef with, beef with, or you just find hard to love. And I just want to say, what would Jesus want you to do about that? I'm actually going to just, just pause right now. I hope you have somebody in mind who's just a challenge for you to love and to feel compassion for. Um... Just think of them, Lord Jesus, my brothers and sisters here, we all want to follow in your way of love. We want to be giving. And Lord, there's some people who are just nasty, some people who are just hard, people who might have mistreated us, people we can't trust. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us your heart, I pray. Jesus, we cannot muster love on our own, but you can give us your love for others. I pray you give us that heart for that person and give us those steps that we know what to do to reach out and to be Christ to them. May not be that we're going to be great friends, but that still we can show respect and love in that way. Father, I just pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, yeah, it is hard to to love some people. but another thing, maybe we just may not understand what love really is. You know, our, our first impressions are what often create our understanding of it. And I think of mine. Um, of course, I, I, had a, I had a good family. My parents raised me, and of course I understood that. But I remember when I was eight years old, I was smitten over this girl. Eight years old. Carrie Roman was her name. And Carrie, if you're watching, I know this is embarrassing, but... That was so long ago. So, okay, true confessions. I would hide under my bed and draw pictures of a smooching. And we had like, we had ultra big lips. It was really weird. I remember finishing it. I'm like, this is weird. But I was so smitten by this girl. I even remember the song that was playing on the radio. I'm, I'm not kidding you. Um, at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyhow, uh, but that was one of the... and. You know, the world often paints that love has to be kind of what I was experiencing. These three things it has to be euphoric, it's easy, and it's exclusive. And that's a lot of what we think of what love, even God's love, should be like. So, euphoric, easy, and exclusive. So, euphoric, if we translate that into our faith, we think, oh, God's just going to move and it's going to be like ecstasy. You know, I, I was raised in the charismatic movement, and that was kind of the bend, where it's just like, God was gonna do his thing and you you couldn't control it. Uh, There was even emphasis, you know, like speaking in tongues and prophecy would all be uh, what they call just a euphoric state where some claimed they couldn't control it. Um, So that's what I expected. If God's love was so great and and if love was gonna hit me, it was gonna be like that, you know, um, being kind of a state of ecstasy, or it was easy. You know, God just touch me, you know, and it'll change. And even though that's true, a lot of times love is not easy. Right. You know, the cross was not easy for, for Jesus, an ultimate example of love. And you know anybody who's a parent or you have siblings, <laughs> love is not easy. So, I had this misconception that true love was going to be effortless. And then thirdly, exclusive. So, like, I would say, why is God blessing my brother so much? You know, he's got a great family. He's got Uh, He's got things together, you know. He's got more muscles than I have or whatever. He's got more hair than I do. And uh, so we often think God is gonna bless them and at the expense of me, it's just like, why is he treating him differently? So I thought it was exclusive. You know, has anyone ever felt like that? Like you got this good friend and all of a sudden this good friend, you're like, oh man, I'd really enjoy this person. And you find out they're hanging out with somebody else. It's like, I thought we were buddies. (laughs) You ever have that feeling? Okay, just me. So, but that was my, uh, my false understanding of what love would be, is that it would be exclusive. Um, and we bring that into our understanding of God. So, but the nature of God's love is original, is lasting love, is love that started it all as different from our experiences, completely different. And so, so we have to reframe it. And, and so, here's something interesting is, uh, you'll find the Greek word for love uh, used most often in the Old Testament is ahava, not, not java, but ahava, and this has little to do with feelings or uh, what one receives. To the contrary, ahava is usually a verb that means I give, okay? I give. Let's go back to that, that original statement. We were saying that Satan was saying, what was, what was the two words that were the essence of Satan. I will. And with that will be, I take. But Ahava, love, true love is, I give. So if we are of God's nature and that essence is love, I give. And as you say, well, I don't have those feelings that I don't want to give, well, then repent. You know, now's the time to change. We have to change our mind and our thinking. And say, Lord, help me to think of how I can give. Because love, Love doesn't wait for a feeling. Love acts. So, uh, talking about relating, first, I want to feel, uh, talk about how we relate to each other or with each other. Again, love is I give, not that I feel love towards you, but I give, and I want to, uh, rather than I want or I want to take. And so, verse 2, again, this is 1 John chapter 5, it says, this is how we… This is how we love the children of God, by loving God and keeping or carrying out His commandments. So what this, what this is telling us is that when you love God, you're loving me. Does that make sense? If you live in that light that John's talking about, basking in God, enjoying and obeying Him, your vision is clear, you're purposeful, you're not trying to manipulate people would I not be blessed by that? Wouldn't that be loving to me? So your zeal and your confidence for God uh, and your love for God, wouldn't that encourage me? Your giftings and enablings, things that you're good at, if you're using those for God's kingdom, wouldn't that bless me? I benefit from the, the spiritual wisdom that God's given you. Oh when you uh, obey and enjoy Him, I don't have to also, I don't have to work the damage control that would have happened otherwise. So, remember, uh, God has just, God has called you. When you love Him, you're actually loving us around you. I need you. I need you. We need you to be loving and generous towards God. So, we're again, about relating with each other. Next, we have uh, talk about, this is in First John chapter 5, relating with the world. And this is verses 3 through 5. It says, in fact, this is love for God to keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So, what we learn from that we have overcome the world. Remember, the world is going to tell you to perform. The world's going to tell you to take. That's the deception. And when we buy into that, we kind of white-knuckle our faith and be like, I'm going to hang on. I can do this. I can live up to it. But that's not where we are to be. We are to rest in who Christ is and what He has done. Your task is to rest. Next, First um, John talks about... how we relate with God. Verses 13 through 15, it says, I write these things, this is why John's writing, I write these things to you who believe in the name of of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. So, when we believe we're given the very life in the spirit of God, and it changes our relationship with him. there's now a part of us that starts resembling him a little bit, and just like a child resembles its parents you know so what that means is approach boldly you're God's kid, get in there and talk to him, ask him, complain to him <laughs> uh, as you need to um, it, and often, we, we come to God, we, we kind of hesitate. We think, well, God doesn't want to hear from me. But it's changed now. God isn't… God isn't ready to accuse you, He's blessing you. We are His children. Next, we see um, in this chapter of First John chapter 5 is that we are kept. And I'll read this Scripture here and explain that. It says, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, You should pray, and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. What do we, what do we gather from this excerpt? Uh, We are to defend each other, okay? We are to defend each other. How does this happen? This is really where we intervene for one another. and actually, this, this is the, the context of the previous verses is illustrating that, um, that when we're intervening or praying for our brothers and sisters, our prayers surely are to be answered. Um, it is because it's a prayer of love. Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus um, is, teaches about how to approach somebody who is in sin. Um, he says, we are to love and protect and confront each other gently respectfully. And the next verse right after that, he says, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So, this is a big key. I mean, this, this is like a Scripture. A lot of people would like to say, wow, God's given us authority. But He's really given you that authority. The context of this, He's giving you authority in the forgiving of your brothers and sisters. That's the context of this. So, all that to say is that when it comes to you praying for someone else, God's listening, but now he's really impressed, right? He's really, that's where prayer is more effective, is when we pray and lift up each other. So let's defend one another. Let's lift up one another. I need your prayers. You need my prayers. Um, It just appears that when we pray for others, this is when prayer is the most powerful. When we pray for one another, we are doing a function of love, caring for the family. Uh, again, you need me to do it, and I need you to do it. Uh, next, what we learned from the Scripture is that God is defending us. And I'll read here, First John, it says, We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe. Amen for that. And the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. God keeps us spiritually. I continue on here. It says, we, also, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true by being in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Lastly, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. And that's how John ends this book. So it's interesting how John, who is he's talking about love, he's lifting up these people on how to live, you know, this obvious secret, if you will. At the end, he starts explaining, understand who Jesus is. And the last point of that is it's our understanding that keeps us. That's why when we teach, there is a place for doctrine, certain tenets of our faith, what we believe about Jesus. This was important to John, and he took time to outline it, uh, who Jesus was and who He was not. And having a clear understanding of who Jesus is, Um, among the different philosophies and theologies that are out there, um, they'll tend to want to morph Jesus into something different and start deceiving us from the truth. But again, John is protecting the people by explaining to them who Jesus is. He asserts that Jesus was divine both at his baptism and his death, and he he, uh, is just pointing him out. So this world, as we know, will often try to skew Jesus as just being a, you know, a good teacher or a good man, someone who cared about His people, uh, but things went awry, you know. He was an effective leader, and this revolt or whatever, His movement went amiss. But we know that that is different than what Jesus preached. We know that there are prophecies where what was promised was fulfilled in the life of Jesus. We know that he was more. He gave his life. He volunteer, voluntarily gave up his life to, for, to win us over. So uh, back to understanding who he is. When we study the Bible, we are taught on Sunday mornings or whenever we get into biblical teaching, we are communing with God uh, through prayer and his relationship. Our understanding of Jesus changes, um, and it keeps us in the truth. It keeps us in this family. And so I I think I'm gonna have the worship team come up here. This is kind of what was on my heart. I know there's a number of things, but if we just understand that Jesus, his whole orientation is to give. He keeps on giving. You know, he's not gonna say, Hey, I gave my life for you. What more do you want? <laughs> That's not how he works. Actually, it says the opposite. If the, if, God, if the Father had done this, how much more will he bless us beyond? Jesus is here right now. I honestly believe that. I, I believe he has a smile on his face. And he wants you to rest in who he is and to take on a different way and understand that your time here on this earth is not meaningless. The main task for you is to become like him in his acts of love. I I, I do think that there's this quote which is really helpful for me. Henry Drummond, I think this kind of summarizes what this obvious secret is. Says, the world is not a playground. It is a schoolroom. Life is not a holiday, but an education. And the one eternal lesson, the one lesson For all of us is how better we can love. That's our meaning for life. I want to invite you, if you would stand with me here. I want to invite you into that family. If you don't know Christ, you haven't seen the smile on his face, you haven't said yes to his sacrifice, his generosity to you, Um, I wanna invite you to do that. God's calling you to enter into that light and and living the Christian life can be so challenging but, but Jesus says this in Matthew 11, verse 29 through 30, he says, "'Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, that's what i'm praying for all of us is that we learn from jesus the way of love he says for i am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls not more to do not more to measure up to not more to get done you'll find rest for your souls for the deepest part of you he says for my yoke is easy and my burden is light If you, if you haven't experienced the Lord and want to live in that light, if you don't know Jesus and would like prayer, I'm just going just to acknowledge that if you could raise your hand. Or if you're one who just says, I have not been enjoying Jesus. Not that you don't, but that I just haven't savored those times with Him. I've been living for myself, I've been saying more I will and I will take versus I give. If that's you, you just raise your hand, just acknowledge that to the Lord, we're just going to pray, Lord Jesus, you're here, you're walking through the aisles, and you have compassion and thrill in your heart for those who are here every one of them you've seen them from when they were children the things that they did well the things that they didn't the things that they wanted to become and the things that they were told they couldn't be jesus you're here right now i pray that we would learn from you and understand that your yoke is easy your burden is light jesus show us your way would you For my brothers and sisters who want to know you and be close to you, would you just show them yourself? Show them in a way that's specific to them. I pray, Lord, even for dreams. I pray for visions. I pray for illumination as people read the Scripture and they start beholding and seeing you like they hadn't before. I pray that the wonder of God will overtake my brothers and sisters. And their hearts will become more and more oriented with, how can I give? How can I show my gratitude to the kindness of God to me? So, Lord, I pray. We ask for your help. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your sacrifice. In your name we pray. Let's worship.